Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Hi crew, today on the podcast I have a very exciting guest for you. Graham Tomlinson is a UK-based reps level 3 personal trainer and nutrition coach. He is very popular on social media known as The Fitness Chef, where he shows easy and practical evidence-based solutions for nutrition messages which help nearly half a million people worldwide. Graham uses easy nutrition tips for healthy living and weight loss, which are very funny and relatable, and I'm sure at some stage you've stumbled across his brilliant content online. I can't wait for you guys to hear our chat today, which we actually had to break into two podcasts because we were having so much fun busting all of the weight loss myths, which Instagram has just blown up recently. So get ready, guys. This is a super informative and easy to listen to chat. Welcome, Graham, to the podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. Hi, how are you doing? Wonderful. Um, I've, I've got so, so many questions to ask you, but I think I'll, I'll start first by saying that I absolutely love your Instagram and I just love how you're able to translate nutrition advice into just the simplest messages. Where do you come up with the, the inspiration for your photos? I always, I always wanted to ask <laughs> you. <laughs> well, thanks for the praise. Um, basically, the inspiration for my... Uh, graphics comes from what I see on social media myself. So quite a lot of people are posting misinformation um, and stuff that's just completely out of context. And I kind of think to myself, if I was a kind of the lay public looking at this information, you know, I really wouldn't know what was going on. So some of it can be too complex and some of it can just be a little bit kind of ridiculous at times. And so it's my kind of goal to think, well, hang on a minute. I want to put myself in their shoes and try and simplify it as much as possible into kind of a, a bite-sized chunk. Um, too often, I think a lot of people within the industry try and cover everything in, a, in one small post and they kind of get mixed up themselves and that confuses other people. So it's, it's really each of my graphics is just kind of um, discussing one subject and trying to kind of nail it down with as much evidence um, and as much context and as much value as possible, really. And yeah, a lot of it is ridiculously simple, which is probably one of the advantages and why so many people um, seem to find it quite helpful. Yeah, and I 100% agree. You definitely nailed the simplicity aspect of it and really, you really, I guess, drum home that really simple message in that one concept. So you do that beautifully. Um, when it comes to social media, as you mentioned, I see so many people posting so many different things. What do would you say would be, I guess, one of the most confusing things for consumers when it comes to just weight loss in general? What are some of the most confusing things you see online? Um, I think for me, the most confusing thing that gets gets lost in translation is the idea of nutrient or kind of nutrient dense foods and body composition just gets completely intertwined and people before they understand that calories in versus calories out defines weight loss or weight gain are looking at content which doesn't state that already but is stating you know all these healthy foods that are great for weight loss and it's like they don't even understand the the principle behind weight loss to start with and that's the, the you know if you don't understand that the rest of it, sorry the rest of it all all kind of falls down straight away um so i think yeah social media is kind of unregulated in how you know anybody can post anything a lot of information is communicated poorly and um, without context without perspective and what we see now particularly in the last couple of years is that a lot of people are arguing on social media as well with their own confirmation bias and it's actually really difficult to try and get someone to see logic and see reason once they already have that bias um, no matter how much you try so what we're seeing is a lot of people with almost fanatical beliefs about nutrition like this is the best way to lose weight whether it be 
keto, whether it be you know low carb, uh, intermittent fasting. And the truth is obviously that there's no right or wrong. There's no black or white. You know, everybody is different. Um, and I just think that we are getting to the stage where, uh, yeah, it's becoming. I'm, I'm not sure toxic is the right word, but people are becoming way too sort of fanatical. Um, and it's it's just really difficult to kind of drown that out with some sort of objectivity um, because one person's fact is another person's fiction and it's it's really hard to kind of do that on social media. You know, uh, uh, people would, would come to you for advice. I mean, how do you feel about that? You know, your your job as a dietitian must be a lot different from social media. Yeah, it is. It is and it isn't. I guess I still get the same questions from my clients in clinic that I get on social media. And as you mentioned, the fanatics about their particular way, you know, anybody who has ever lost weight believes that they're an expert in nutrition. And I think that's the the scariest thing I see with social media is that you don't need any qualifications these days. You know, I see everyone from, you know, lawyers to mummy bloggers to, you know, people who, you know, might have nothing to do with nutrition, yet they've lost 10 kilos and they now consider themselves an expert and they've got an ebook and they're now an online coach. And I think that's the scariest thing because people think that because it worked for them, it's the only way and it's definitely going to work for everybody else. So they're the same sort of concepts that I get in my clinic as well as a dietitian. People always want to know what's the best diet or what's the quickest way that I'm going to lose weight. And when you say, well, what do you do? What are the things that you like to eat? It's like my clients get shocked because nobody's ever asked them what they like or what works for them or how they might, you know, like to exercise or might like to eat. You know, if you like carbohydrates, eat carbohydrates. They can easily be included in a lifelong healthy healthy lifestyle. But I think people just think that they have to restrict all of these things to be successful long term. And I think some of these key messages you know, eat more fruits, eat more vegetables, eat more fiber. Some of these really simple things just get lost because, you know, fruit's got too much fructose and it's bad for us. And, you know, carbs are bad. They're going to make us fat. And people just get so fearful of different types of macronutrients that they don't know. They're just so confused. Consumers are so confused. And social media, for all of the wonderful things it's given us, it's also been quite detrimental um, for a lot of people in their health journey. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Um, You know, unless people... I don't know if there's an element of luck to it and how they stumble across, uh, you know, an account which could really help them. Mm. Um, but yes, they could easily fall into a trap of following an account which, yeah, like you're saying, has no qualifications, has no kind of idea what they're doing, to be honest. But, we, you know, we've got a, a society now where um, a lot, some other things infiltrate into social media. Like, for example, it's not relevant to weight loss, but... You know, um, we've got TV documentaries now, you know, the one on Netflix called What the Health, obviously, which um, we've got things coming out of that that are kind of giving birth to fanatical people online. And if you you kind of disagree with what they say, it can be quite challenging as to, you know, what they're saying back. Um, You know, for example, that's that eating one egg is the same as smoking five cigarettes. You know, that was that was said on that program and it's kind of like I don't even know how you're supposed to test that to prove that it's true yet it's kind of said to millions of people um, and people will believe that because you know that television program is probably very well done you know very well kind of you know you know when you've seen a good movie you kind of at the end of it you're kind of absorbed with it and you'll have millions of people believing that to be true and it's um that's obviously not relevant to weight loss, but it's an example of how, how things can quickly gather momentum based on nothing. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's get, it's, I would say at the moment it's probably getting worse <laughs> and it's, it's the likes of ourselves and lots of other great people within the industry. It's almost like we have to support ourselves on social media to keep our voices heard so that we can kind of provide that kind of stable base for people to get information from. I think that, you know, give, I think if you can display information, it's actually a skill to do it without bias and do it with a kind of degree of empathy as well, you know, to just provide information to people and say, well, you decide, but here's the actual, you know, evidence-based information and you're now empowered to make your own decisions based on this. You know, we're not actually telling you you have to do this meal plan or you have to do... 
uh, this low carb diet or whatever. But like you're saying there, a lot of people, if you like carbs, you can eat carbs, for example. But here's the information about it. And you can make your own mind up. Exactly. And I love that, that you're empowering the consumer to allow them to make their own mind up. Whereas I see a lot of accounts are like, this is the only way to do it. Or this is the right way. Don't do it any other way. And a lot of people will ask me, you know, how do I spot a great account, an evidence-based account that's really, you know, research and scientific? How do I pull that apart from another account whose messages might sound great, but there really is not much evidence and science behind it? And the way that I normally sort of say to my clients are, if people are giving you two sorts of opinions, or at least a few different options, that to me is generally a better account than somebody who's like, this is the way to do it. This is the only way. And this is, you know, this is the right way. Mm-hmm. And the, generally I see those people who are, you know, it's one way or it's no way. Those are the sort of accounts who they don't really have a lot of evidence and science behind it. And what they're touting, as you said, they're just those people who, you know, it may have worked with them and they sort of believe that it's the absolute only way. But we know the research and the science shows us that there is no one best diet. There are multiple ways to lose weight, but it's very much dependent on the individual and their lifestyle and what they like to do as well. So would you agree that's, I guess, one way that consumers can, I guess, spot a great social media account from perhaps maybe a not so evidence-based one? Yes, I, I think so. And I think it's almost like we have have to coach them on how to to kind of spot that themselves um and it's almost like yes someone who's kind of saying it is black or white there's no nuance in nutrition this is how it is you know we have to almost try and persuade people to to step away from that kind of content and if it's somebody that's just providing information you know in a kind of calm way with no kind of exclamation marks behind what they're saying yeah that's definitely what we need to do and I think it'll take a bit of time um because social media you know it spreads like wildfire and uh you know we yeah it's I honestly don't know the answer to it but I think the only thing that we can do is kind of support each other within the industry and keep ourselves you know, going as much as possible. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you. I've got um, I've got a couple of questions around dispelling some of the myths on social media. I mean, I love um, I love that you're on this podcast today and we're chatting about you know what things that work and things that are just absolutely myths on Instagram. And I would love to just ask you a couple of questions around things that I get asked all the time and sort of hear your opinions around them and what have worked for your clients as well. And I guess the first one would be around macronutrients, you know, flexible dieting. And if it fits your macros, it's all the rage right now. And people get very fixated or very obsessed on hitting their exact macros. Like I've had clients that say, you know, I need 37% protein. And I say, but do you, how do you know that? How did you work that out? Or they say to me, I need 204 gram, 204.6 grams of carbohydrates today. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Did you know that nutrition labels can be, you know, out by about 20%? So how are you going to work out if you need 204.6 grams of carbohydrates? And I just feel like we're getting a little bit too obsessed with macronutrients. Would you agree? Yes, I, I definitely <laughs> think so. That's hilarious. Well, it's not hilarious, but you know, the, the decimal points there. But yeah, that's what people are thinking these days. And it's the kind of... It, it's born out of the rhetoric that not you and I, but within the industry, people are you know spilling over to people. You know, if it fits your macros, for example, which has been around for oh, I don't know 10, 15 years prominently now. But yeah, if, if it's to do with losing weight or gaining weight, ultimately, um, it's the calories that count. It's obviously macronutrients are there just to to balance the calories, full of uh, nutrients, different types of energy. Um, but ultimately, if you were to get all your calories from Mars bars, which is car- predominantly carbohydrates and fats, if you're within your calorie amount, you would hit your target. You would feel horrific. Um, and <laughs> it's not advisable, obviously. But the, the idea, I think, is that three macronutrients. So basically, somebody has calories to start with. That's the target. And then protein, that's another carbs and fat. That's four things that they have to get perfect, I think is just way too much. And as you say there, um, it's virtually impossible to get exactly the right amount of grams each day of each macronutrient. And I think it's totally unsustainable to try and do that each day. And, uh, you know, it would drive me mad. So what I've found with um, the, the clients that I've worked with is I've kind of said, well, the calories is literally 
the king of this. You, know, you have to hit that number. Um, whether it, whether you do it over a week and you're flexible over seven days or whether you hit it daily. Um, and then make sure you hit the protein target and that's it. Um, so the, the carbs and the fats are kind of your energy sources. And some people might prefer more um, fat-dense foods or more carb-rich foods. And for me to tell them, here's your split, is almost like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. You can just kind of work, work that out yourself as long as it hits the calories. And it kind of halves the amount of stuff that someone needs to get right. Um, and I think it's been way more achievable. I've, I found you know, a few years ago when I was doing, you know, this is the amount of macros you have to hit all three um, people were just finding it way too difficult. I was getting messages through saying, oh, I, I went way over on my fat and way under my carbs. Is that a problem? And then I thought to myself, it hit me one day. I was like, well, actually, no, it's not. <laughs> Why am I doing this? <laughs> so I tend to just go with the, the calories and the, and the protein you know, because as we know, protein is, is going to be fantastic for any goal, whether it be weight loss or uh, trying to build muscle. Um, and that's the kind of, I mean, that's my opinion. Some people might think that you do need to hit all your macronutrients. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what your kind of protocol is around that. Yeah. And I'm like you, like I'm not a huge fan of flexible dieting because I think people do get a little bit too obsessive around it. But I do think it is um, an interesting skill for people just to learn more about the value of food. And as you mentioned, like calories are obviously king, but macronutrients matter, particularly when we're talking about, there's been a lot of research around, um, you know, weight loss and with carbohydrates in particular as a macronutrient. If somebody was purely just eating carbohydrates and not enough protein, they would keep eating and eating and eating until their body achieves that protein amount and then they would allow them to stop because protein is such a satiating macronutrient it, it allows you to feel full and satisfied where you don't get that from carbohydrates so studies have shown that people will continuously eat more and more carbohydrates which blows out their calorie budget until their body achieves that level of protein to allow them to feel satiated or to feel full so as you mentioned like protein is so important for general health weight you know muscle maintenance but also for weight loss as well but you know we can be a little bit more flexible with carbohydrates and with fat depending on um what your lifestyle is like and if you like it you know if you do very low intensity exercise or you have lots of rest days or you're in an injury period or a deloading week you probably don't need as many carbohydrates then again if you're somebody that loves carbohydrates and your body really responds well to them you can you know you're more of a plant-based lifestyle you can definitely eat more of them there's no you know gold or king here and people say you know what's the exact split for my macronutrients as you mentioned, it doesn't really matter. And I'm, I'm very much like you, I'll set a protein target, but I'll actually throw one more nutrient into the mix. And I always give them a fiber target because again, I feel like if clients aren't reaching their fiber targets, they're not reaching their vegetable or fruit intake, which we know is so important for just general health and gut health long-term as well. So I aim for calories, protein, and fiber. And the rest of that, they can make up sort of wherever. And I'm very much a believer in that sort of 80-20 mix where I don't expect them to be completely healthy and whole food 100% of the time because we know that that's just not realistic long term. So I sort of talk about that extra 20% coming from a term that I use called soul foods, where basically it's foods that you absolutely love, that kind of like light your soul on fire. They're typically quite processed foods, but you know, it might be a glass of wine or a bit of chocolate or some cheese and crackers, but foods that can definitely fit into a long-term healthy lifestyle, as long as it's sort of small amounts in moderation. So I think we sort of have the same feeling around macros and I think people get a little bit too obsessed around them and they realize at the end of the day, um, as long as you're eating good whole foods the majority of the time, you're probably achieving the right balance of macronutrients anyway and your body does tend to tell you if you need a little more or a little less of something especially if you feel like your hunger is through the roof probably you're not getting enough protein or fiber within your macronutrients um, and the next one I think we've touched on was really that calories in versus calorie out concept and as you mentioned um, they really are king if you if you're looking to lose weight and you're not losing weight you're not in a calorie deficit, put it that way. But I don't love how, I guess the trend on Instagram at the moment is people just hammering home the, the calories in versus calories out message. I do think that nutrients matter and the quality of your food matters. Are you sort of in agreement with that that concept? 100%, yes. I, a lot of um, criticism I actually get on my posts because they're slightly, because you can't convey the entire sphere of nutrition in one post, I sometimes do calorie comparisons, but in my captions, I do 
always mention the importance of consuming nutrients, particularly obviously via whole foods. Um, but it's amazing the amount of people that kind of criticize me for not, you know, for example, if I was comparing a Big Mac to something else, you know, it's almost like someone gets triggered straight away. It's like, because it's, you know, a processed food, um, that, you know, why am I promoting it? And I was like, well, I'm not. Um, I still believe that nutrients are very important. Um, and that's, that's one kind of thing that I think, that's criticism that I've had on my posts. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you that the nutrients, you know, for our function is absolutely critical. Um, and it's, it's critical that we get enough of them. Um, and the 80-20 rule has been the most popular thing over the over the years and I think you know yeah it's easy to just rip something up and say oh that sounds boring now let's come up with something else but actually it's probably about right um you know it, consuming 80% from from whole foods means that you're going to obtain um the amount of nutrients that you need and as you know you know particularly micronutrients and the amount of uh, vitamins and minerals that we're taking in it's actually impossible to track them <laughs> so you know for a client, it's basically like if you consume a lot of fruit and vegetables and fresh food, there's a good chance you're going to get all the nutrients that you actually need. You know, you don't need to track vitamin C or phosphorus. You know, <laughs> track the milligrams proportion. That would be unbelievable. So it's um, and the twenty percent, as you're saying, there is 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 left for foods that you you really enjoy, um, but you know that they can be calorie dense, not particularly satiating and bereft of micronutrients. So, um, yeah, I guess it's just being aware of the, the, the use and purpose of each food, isn't it? So, you know, when you're eating that pizza or having a glass of wine or having a chocolate bar that it's not giving you nutrients, but the calorie property of that food still applies. Um, and you just have to kind of factor it in, but flexible dieting, like you're saying has, did get a little bit ridiculous. A lot of people on social media posting an insanely calorie dense, you know, for example, cheap days and cheap meals, which I don't think was particularly helpful because it was the kind of idea that you have to do this, um, kind of if you want to kind of achieve your goals. And we obviously know that actually someone having a cheap meal, which is, you know, their day's worth of calories, even if they do it once a week, it can actually have a quite a detrimental effect um, on their overall kind of adherence to a, a calorie deficit, for example. Um, and yeah, in terms of misconception of calories in versus calories out, you're seeing there people, a lot of, I get a lot of messages on Instagram when they kind of say, I'm eating 1200 calories a day, but I'm not, I haven't lost any weight for six weeks. And I always kind of right back and say, well, listen, I don't know exactly what you're doing because I haven't seen what you've been eating and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if, what the appropriate calorie target for you is if you're in a 10, 15% deficit. Um, but I can guarantee that if you're not losing weight, you're simply not in a calorie deficit. And it could just be underappreciating how many calories you're consuming. It could be the fact that you didn't, uh, you're not moving as much as you used to. You know, it could be all of these sort of things. Um, and yeah, I, I, ultimately it does c come down to calories in versus calories out. There's so much that is behind that that kind of means that somebody is actually in a deficit or isn't, depending on their, their lifestyle. Yeah, it's definitely not as simple a concept as it sounds, is it? But you touched on an important point where, um, you know, I get a lot of uh, messages from followers as well who basically say, look, I'm consuming X amount of calories, you know, it's been three, six, you know, 10 weeks, I haven't lost any weight. And it's hard to sort of reply to them because I know in my mind, that's not what you're consuming. That might be what you're putting into my fitness pal, or that might be what you think you're consuming. But I can guarantee you that if it's something that's incredibly low, like 1200 calories, and for any grown adult, male or female, that would be a calorie deficit for 95% of people. So if you think that you're consuming 1200 calories and you're not losing weight, you're not consuming that. So I see a lot of, um, I guess, different reasons for that. 
Probably some of the biggest things are when people are tracking their macros, like using apps like MyFitnessPal, they're not choosing accurate amounts. So, you know, somebody might go out and have a coffee and a cheesecake. And, you know, I was out with a friend once and she was um, scrolling through MyFitnessPal and she was going, cheesecake, 650 calories. Oh no, cheesecake. Oh, 200 calories. That sounds good. And, you know, we just choose that one. And so even, you know, you, you, you can only cheat yourself, but a lot of people, they actually don't have that knowledge to be able to do that. So what would some of the biggest, um, I guess, reasons for, I guess, people thinking that they're eating that way, but they're really not. I see a lot of people going, um, forgetting to add things like sauces and fats in particular. Like if they're using olive oil and dressing, you know, a tablespoon of olive oil, easily 120, 130 calories. Now they just spraying olive oil on because, you know, it's a good fat and it's really healthy for you. That can easily blow out your calorie budget if you're doing that in salads and cooking your protein and that sort of thing. Do you have any big tips for our listeners today on um, easy areas? If, if they feel like they're not losing weight, quick areas that they can sort of check within their eating patterns to just ensure that they really are, I guess, achieving what they need to be achieving? Yes. Um, like you're saying there, condiments, um, liquids, things like that, that are containing calories that we're not necessarily seeing like the benefits of in terms of they're not satiating us. Um, things like sauces. I, I did a comparison last month and it was, I think it was three, three lots of ketchup, three lots of mayonnaise, barbecue sauce, a sweet chili sauce and some Caesar dressing. And it was like three 30 mil, 30 gram portions of, of yeah i can't remember the arrangement anyway um but basically it, it came to sort of 11 1200 calories and thinking you know those portion sizes are actually typical of what someone may consume in a week with various meals and i compared it to um a pizza from a, a fast food chain and the pizza was you know 100 calories less or something so basically similar and the idea is that those sauces don't even enter somebody's mind when you know don't even bother tracking them or at least appreciating that they've consumed them and that they contain calories. Um, whereas a pizza is obviously seen as this thing where, you know, it's like, oh, you can't have that if you're dieting or you're trying to lose weight. Um, and actually, both of them were pretty much the same, would have the same effect on somebody's composition, um, which I thought, you know, I've also done things like, you know, the, an olive oil and perhaps having a non-stick pan the amount of calories that you'd save over a year um, and it would you know the portion sizes that I put in of olive oil which would have been like 10 mil which is like 80 calories or something over a year it would equate to something like two stone in in body fat by not by not having that and obviously you know it's not to say don't have olive oil because it's obviously a, a beneficial it's got beneficial elements to it um, and you can obviously if you like olive oil reduce your calories from somewhere else but these kind of simple things that you, we often don't even appreciate can actually be the things that can make the biggest difference over time. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, I mean, it's not seen as that significant really to cut oil or sauce out of something or look for a reduced calorie version. Um, and it's the same with liquids and things like full sugar fizzy drinks, you know, for somebody who's, obese swapping that for the, something that tastes very similar but as a, as a diet drink is actually going to be beneficial for them if somebody's already drinking water and they switch to a diet drink then potentially okay there's no point already drinking water ideally you should be drinking water anyway but things like that are you know just seem crazy opportunities not to take but a lot of people don't realize them um because there's a lot of perceptions around about food and we just need to be aware of, of factual information about it a little bit better to appreciate that. Um, and there's loads of other things regarding activity level. You know, you were just asking about food there, which are, again, going to be huge determinants on progress or lack of progress. And things like NEAT, um, it's, again, the mode of, of movement that we don't appreciate. You know, just things like fidgeting. Um, we can. We, we always think that we have to be blasting workouts six days a week, and that we have to be basically in a puddle at the end of it. You know, beetroot faced. When in re the reality is that our total daily energy expenditure, that exercise, because we can't sustain it because it's so intense, is likely only about five percent of our total daily energy expenditure. Whereas 
you've also got your your basal metabolic rate, which is around about seventy percent, which is just you know like existing breathing, um, and then you've got NEAT, which is about fifteen percent. It's something that can easily be increased, whether it be going for a ten minute walk once a day, or whether it be parking further away from the supermarket, or you know, basic things like that, taking stairs instead of lifts, over time, those things are actually going to reap significant rewards. Um, in the short term, it may not seem that way, but, uh, you know, in the long term, they absolutely can. 100% agree. And just for our listeners at home, um, the concept Graham was touching on about NEAT. So it basically stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenesis, which essentially is uh, any sort of movement that our body gets in, um, sort of uh, extra steps or fidgeting or just, um, you know, walking from the couch to pick up the remote control, that sort of thing. So it's the exercise within your day-to-day activity that isn't actually exercise. So it's sort of that non-incidental type of activity. And basically what happens is when you put yourself in a calorie deficit, your body automatically wants to reduce its need because it wants to conserve all of its energy. So one of the best things that you can do that's going to help with weight loss long term to support those metabolic adaptions within your body is to try and increase your need. So try and increase any sort of non-exercise related activity day to day. So I myself have bought myself a standing desk currently sitting down so I'm not a great advocate for it but I do like to sort of stand up every hour even if it's just for sort of 10 minutes and sort of um, pace back and forth on each leg as I'm reading emails or I'll always get up and sort of make myself a cup of tea or coffee or just a glass of water or just you know wander outside onto um you know, the the patio or that sort of thing every sort of hour just to get a few extra steps within my day because that's the most, I guess, overlooked concept for a lot of people. Um, You know, they go so hard in the gym, but as Graham mentioned, it might be 5% 5% of their day when it comes to that, that energy output, you really want to get up your knit or your um sort of non- in your incidental type of activity. So parking, um, you know, a few car parks over and taking a few extra steps into the shops or getting off the bus a stop early to walk a few extra more steps home. So that's a really important overlook concept. Um, and I guess the other thing that you touched on, Graham, was some sugar-free products. So things like diet, soft drinks. Are you a fan of, of using sugar-free products if people are trying to lose weight? Um, I think it's entirely based on the individual. I think if, if the individual is already drinking water um, for zero calories, then it makes no sense to get them drinking um, a diet soft drink, which is obviously not going to be quite as good as water for them. Um, but if somebody, for example, was consuming um, four cans of Coca-Cola per day, and we'd be talking around about, I don't know, eight, it varies from country to country, 800 calories, maybe more. It depends how big the can is. But... Basically, if somebody was doing that, you know, that's a substantial amount of calories just from trying to stay hydrated. Um, and so switching to a diet drink uh, with zero calories, zero sugar, um, is, you know, saving them 800 calories per day. But it's not, it's not incurring too much of a kind of uh, hardship on their lifestyle at that point because they're still consuming a similar tasting drink. But obviously, it's not got any calories in it. Ideally, um, over time, you'd like to get someone just drinking water. Um, it sounds a little bit kind of boring, obviously, but it is by far the best liquid that you, you can drink um, if you're trying to lose weight, obviously. But yeah, it, it, it depends. If somebody is, you know, that's a real kind of problematic area in their diet and they're consuming um, multitudes of calories from liquids, specifically fizzy drinks, then it's absolutely a fantastic thing if they, you know, if, if they can drink the diet drinks and reduce the calories. Um, it just seems like an easy opportunity. Um, over time, ideally, again, I'd like to get them to switch to water or or maybe reduce the the consumption of the um, diet drinks a little bit further. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's an easy kind of solution to to a problem that some people might already have. I think it's. Um, there's a lot of things like smoothies and juices which contain similar calories to the likes of you know Coca-Cola, Fanta, whatever. Um, and the the problem a lot of people think they are just automatically good. It's like, well, yes, they have micronutrients. They are they're going to benefit your function more so than a can of Coca-Cola, which has absolutely nothing um, nutritious in it at all. Um, 
but the problem is it still contains calories. So again, we'll come back to the calories in versus calories out. Um, that smoothie is going to be the same as that can of Coke probably for your weight loss or weight gain. The smoothie will have micronutrients, but they don't determine your body composition at all. Um, so yeah, I think I can definitely see where the benefits of diet drinks come in just to kind of um, make the transition to calorie reduction a lot easier to start with. And it's a, it's a working process. The, the idea is to try and make small changes as possible and, um, you know, make the impact so low in someone's lifestyle they almost don't realize that they're having to make huge changes. If, if you go in there and rip up somebody's um, dietary intake straight away and hit them with this meal plan, which is just full of stuff that's brand new, the chances of adherence are a lot, lot less. Um, I would say that, importantly, it would be great if they could just drink water <laughs> because that's going to be best. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one. It's, it's almost like we're looking for a stepping stone to the next improvement and then the next improvement and the next improvement. And ideally, over time, somebody might switch from ultra-processed, um, calorie-dense foods that weren't satiating them, uh, calorie-dense drinks, a lifestyle which is completely unsupportive, getting three hours sleep uh, a night to something which is, you know, 80% whole foods, staying hydrated on water, sleeping a bit better, moving more, doing more steps, but it doesn't happen overnight. And I think a lot of people try and do that. It's it's a case that it may take months and years to get there, but as long as you keep making slow amounts of progress, then that's the key. 100% agree. And I love that you, how you explain that in almost like a step down fashion. Whereas again, I see a lot of, you know, wellness bloggers and that sort of thing on social media being like, no, diet stuff drinks are the worst thing ever. Don't do that. But as you said, for some people who might drink, you know, liters of, of soft drink a day, having that step down approach is key for dietary adherence long term because you can't get somebody to just I mean there's sort of even an addictive concept to coke because of the caffeine and the sugar in combination if somebody's drinking you know one or two liters of that a day you can't just get them to to stop altogether and so I love that sort of step down approach you might get them to switch to maybe said diet diet soft drink then you might get them to go for maybe just some soda water with a bit of lime or a few cucumber slices and then really transition them just onto plain water which we know in a, in gold standard is is the best drink but for some people it's just not um it's just not going to happen um straight away put it that way you really do need that step down approach so i love that um the concept that you have there with diet products and sugar-free products. And I guess that leads me into my next question of just the concept of i guess clean eating versus you know, balanced eating. And again, you know, we, we see a lot of people promoting clean eating, but as you say, a lot of these like, you know, clean, healthy brownies or clean, clean, healthy, you know, bliss balls and that sort of thing can be super, super calorie dense because they're just nuts and, you know, argive syrup and, and dates blended together. And, you know, I've seen little, you know, protein balls that are two, 300 calories per tiny little ball. And people think that that's okay to eat because it's, hashtag clean or hashtag healthy. Do you have a, a feeling or an opinion around, I guess, clean eating versus just that balanced eating and that sort of 80-20 concept that we talked about? Well, I think the the kind of label of clean eating is problematic in itself because it's already putting whatever food comes under that category, whether it be protein balls or stuff that costs 800 pounds from the supermarket, like, like uh, manure or whatever. It's like... Um, so already putting halo on those types of foods. And what this creates is any food that doesn't fit into that bracket, for example, a processed food, which can be had in moderation, obviously. All of a sudden, if, if a clean food is so good, the food that's not clean has to be bad. So then we have this kind of idea, or kind of like a, a rhetoric, so to speak, is that these foods are clean, these foods are dirty. And so it's obviously got negative connotations to eating dirty food. That can create things like guilt when you're eating them. And like you're saying there, it's absolutely unbelievable how we're, how we're labeling food like that when we should just be looking at the calorie quantity, the nutrients, how it makes us feel, the energy it gives us, etc. So it can be quite problematic. I think um, the, the, it kind of came – when did it start, the cleaning team? It was kind of um, – mid 2000s I think and I kind of support 
in some ways I understand where it's come from because we're, it's all about encouraging people to eat nutrients at the end of the day um, and trying to almost swap out, you know, in, in the example that you gave, a processed chocolate bar for something made out of cacao and honey and kind of more natural whole food ingredients with a similar kind of taste. But yeah, it, it, again, it comes back to this kind of misunderstanding that a, nutri a, a nutrient-rich food is going to be automatically better for somebody's health than something that isn't quite as nutrient-dense. Nutrient um, but what happens if you keep consuming double the calories of the clean food compared to the other food? You know, it's going to lead to possible problems in terms of weight. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, that's the, the immediate problem, but it's more the psychological kind of issues around labeling foods in such ways, whether it be good, bad, clean, dirty, um, it's just unnecessary, I think. It's because there's a place for all food. We just need to understand what it means. Um, and there's been a lot of kind of, stuff over the last couple of years, particularly on social media, that people are promoting food as medicine. Um, and that would harp back to these kind of clean foods. And yes, you know, we know that foods high in vitamins and minerals are going to help prevent disease. But if disease is already present in someone, for example, eating a bunch of uh, micronutrient rich foods is gonna, isn't really going to do anything for that. And I think it's a kind of dangerous path to go down that people are, like, this is kind of going off tangent a little bit, but people are kind of reject medicine in favor of food because they've seen some quote unquote doctor on Instagram promote food as medicine or a juice cleanse or something like that. And they're actually, um, you know, they're actually rejecting things like chemotherapy in favor of eating this diet that's been prescribed. I think that's incredibly dangerous. Um, but yeah, to get back to clean eating, basically nutrients are vital for our function, calories define our composition. And if we could just realize that, we could understand that we could probably eat a mixture of all different foods, but we don't need to call them clean or dirty. We just need to understand what they are um, and keep things simple. Exactly. And I agree with that. And I, I sort of see a lot of clients and a lot of people who reach out to me on social media who get caught up in this very restrictive style of eating, which can actually lead to a little bit of disordered eating from trying to, I guess, eat so clean. And they almost get so much guilt from, you know, I've had people who reach out to me who say, I can't leave the house or I can't eat a meal outside of the house because I don't know what ingredients goes into it. And I'm too scared that it's not, you know, it's not a clean meal or something like that. So it can actually even go the other way if somebody's trying to eat so healthy and so clean it can actually promote disordered eating in some people where it's so restrictive that you know they they absolutely can't you know they can never touch any sort of processed food which we know that a small amount of processed food can easily be incorporated into a healthy lifestyle it's just that many where I live, many Australians eat far too much processed foods and nowhere near enough whole foods. But in some people, I see them go too far the other way, where their entire diet is just 100% clean and, and, you know, unprocessed foods, where it can actually become a little bit dangerous and it sort of borders on disordered eating. Um, but then, as you mentioned, some people, they sort of pick up this trendy concept of clean eating and all they're doing is making, you know, clean brownies and clean bliss balls and clean chocolate. And it basically has the exact same calories or sometimes even more more than the more processed counterpart but yes you're using better ingredients so yes it is slightly better for your body in terms of nutrients but as you said you're never really going to lose weight if you're still eating more calories than you know your body's requirements are so a very interesting concept and I I really I didn't see this concept around before social media was really you know big I really think it's really gained traction in the last few years and it's just been fueled on by social media sorry no yeah no i definitely think that that social media is basically the thing that's caused it because the likes of yourself in professional positions would would never do that <laughs> simply and it's yeah it's definitely become like that one of my most favorite posts that i did was how to eat clean and it was basically what i did was in my kitchen i had a uh, Snickers bar and it was like so so part one was unwrap your processed food and then part two I had a basin with like up liquid and I put Snickers in there 
So it's like wash your dirty food. And then I had it on the drying rack afterwards and it's like now it's clean. And it's like that was a little bit pedantic potentially, but actually that's how ridiculous the concept is because food is food at the end of the day. Exactly. And I, I much prefer the concept of, of whole foods and um, I guess more nutrient, more eating nutrients, but also it's still having that understanding of macronutrients, I think is important at the end of the day. So many things that come into play, it's not as simple as calories in, calories out or clean versus, you know, I guess, dirty foods, for lack of a better word. There's there's many things that come into play when you think about nutrition. And I think that's probably one of the most confusing concepts for consumers. And then backtracking a little bit to when we were talking about macros and flexible dieting, what are your sort of thoughts around, I guess, cheat meals and plan refeed days? I see so many people who um, will just post these re- ridiculous meals on like a Saturday or a Sunday. And I guess they don't really understand that just one I guess for lack of a better word, cheat meal or, or sort of refeed day can really blow out their whole um, their whole week. And I guess it's a concept that a lot of really high-level bodybuilders sort of started, but the amount that these guys are training, they're almost like professional athletes. And some of these, particularly male bodybuilders, can be eating, you know, in a surplus of, you know, three, four thousand calories, which is far more than a normal person would ever need. And I guess people see that these, you know, professional athletes and bodybuilders might be doing these planned or strategic refeeds or even cheat days and sort of think that that's that's a normal concept. So I see a lot of people who are doing these cheat days every single week. Do you have, I guess, an opinion around plan refeeds or do you have a particular time frame that you use with refeeds for your clients in particular or do you do them at all? Um, I, I agree with you regarding um, these these meals from these individuals online and it's you know it's not their responsibility to say but you know I need these amount of calories you should maybe have less but yes it can be pretty um, hard for somebody having a look and kind of seeing like 4,000 calorie meal or something and they see their physique and they think well if they're doing it then I must have to do that. Um, I wouldn't say I've ever, with clients, ever discussed you know cheat meals. I think they've maybe asked more. It's like, can I have a, a cheat meal? I'm like, well, you can have a meal. <laughs> I don't have to call it a cheat. If you're if, if you're cheating, what does that say? That basically says that the diet that you have out with that cheat meal is not very enjoyable. If you have to cheat it, so basically. Yes, you can have a cal. Basically, what it is is a calorie dense meal, isn't it? Um, but I think what what we're seeing is a lot of people having problems um, having these cheat meals is the fact that they're just not aware of their total calorie intake. Because if they were, and they uh, they were aware of the, the requirements that they needed to lose weight, that they would probably realise that actually these cheat meals and the regularity that they're consumed are not a good idea. Um, they're, they're probably going to take them out of their calorie deficit. Um, so I think that's a major problem. Um, I think in terms of, you, you called there a, a refeed day, I think that is abs- can absolutely be a thing because sometimes, for whatever reason, um, we expend more energy than we planned to and we could be very hungry um but again it comes down to awareness of the total energy that you're consuming and sometimes listening to your your body i always kind of think intuitive eating can either go one or two ways it can either be if it, for one person it might actually work quite well but for another it can be a disaster um but i think generally speaking if we're hungry it means that we need to have to have energy um the degree of that energy is kind of like is a bit questionable sometimes, um, but yeah, I think I, I mean on a couple of occasions I've done comparisons with a, a cheat meal being the same as two days worth of eating for you know a female who's maybe sixty eight to seventy kilos, and that's pretty incredible. Um, so if somebody's doing that once, even every fortnight it could potentially be problematic. Um, but they're doing it every week. It's probably meaning that on average they're maybe not in a calorie deficit anymore. Um, the other thing is, you know, if somebody's trying to build muscle and they're having cheat meals is completely ridiculous because you want to be eating as much as possible almost. Um, so I don't know why it's called a cheat meal for that. And you find a lot of the proponents of these cheat meals online are actually guys that are quite big and muscular. Um, and you're right, it's just that they, their training demands require a certain level of calories to keep their kind of muscle mass up. 
and sometimes that will include massively uh, calorie dense meals. Um, but again, it's just something else that's got lost in translation. Um, it's it's almost like it's it's been born out of flexible dieting and how we should eat, you know, things in moderation. Um, but it's it's can potentially be dangerous for somebody who don't really understand the total amount of food that they're consuming and how that impacts their overall dietary intake. Mm-hmm. So it really does come back down to, I guess, that simplest. Uh, you know simplistic nutrition knowledge and just having a general understanding of calories and learning to I guess read nutrition labels and I'm not sure about where you are but in Australia a lot of restaurants are actively trying to put up the energy density of some of their meals and list the the nutrition analysis on the menus which is really helpful yeah. Um, I guess for consumers just to understand what they're consuming because it's not to say you can't go out and have pizza you can't go out and have a burger and chips but don't just turn a blind eye to what you're eating and just think oh it's Saturday night I'm just going to do this and have a couple of beers and it's you know it's not going to matter because it's it's a cheat day actively be aware of what you're consuming there's no need to sort of restrict for it but you can I guess budget a little bit for it in your day you know if you're going out for dinner that night you might not need your typical afternoon tea snack or you you know you might go for a little bit of an extra walk if you're planning on having a couple of drinks that night or something like that so it still sort of fits in your lifestyle you don't have to be overly restrictive but I think nutrition knowledge really is is so powerful at the end of the day isn't it I think it all comes down to that so that your entire your entire um diet is based it should be based on the well is based on the knowledge that you have if that knowledge is non-existent or very um it's not much there then yeah you're just not going to know much about what you're eating if it's quite extensive it just gives you the power to make your own decisions accordingly like for example you know going out to have a meal with your mates you know that on that day you maybe reduce your calories earlier in the day or you know the next day to maybe reduce your calories just so that you can stay on track but um, if the if the knowledge isn't there, the likelihood is that you know you'll go out and have that calorie dense meal, and the next day you'll just get back to what you were doing when actually no adjustments been made. And um, yeah, it's it's all about having the information to make your own decisions and 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 make it make your diet yours, and not really have to follow anything specific. Yeah, knowledge it is so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, And that probably brings me to my last question around alcohol and weight loss, something I get asked all of the time. I myself am very much a fan of a glass of red on a Friday or a Saturday night, but I'm not somebody who will go out and have multiple, multiple, multiple drinks like maybe I used to do when I was sort of 18 or 20 years old. How do you feel about alcohol and weight loss and what do you sort of do or recommend for your clients if they're somebody who enjoys a drink or two or somebody who might be very social? Um, Absolutely recommend being social and if, if if that is enjoyed that has to continue um you know completely banning something that's enjoyed is 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 an absolutely ridiculous kind of concept um but i think um you know it's again we can come back to the the diet drink sort of philosophy in that a lot of alcoholic drinks actually you can potentially reduce the calories in them without compromising the taste quite quite easily you know, alcohol has seven calories per gram and it's not very satiating at all. So it's actually quite calorie dense. But when you add on mixers to that as well, for example, if you're having a, uh, a spirit with Coca-Cola, you know, that could immediately be reduced with having something like Diet Coke or a diet drink, um, gin and tonic, you know, slim line. To- these kind of decisions, which when we're impaired with alcohol can sometimes not take place um, <laughs> on a night out. But I, I think in my experience that, not personal experience, but for somebody who is going out once or twice a week on a heavy night out, I think we can safely say that that is going to impact their, their, their um, body composition in some way. Not necessarily just on that night, but the day after, depending on how much alcohol has been consumed, um, we could potentially get into a situation where there's virtually no movement that day. Um, And because we're not in the best state of mind, we're probably less likely to be motivated to go and prepare something which is going to support our goal in terms of uh, meals. So we may have something that doesn't support our, um, our goals. 
on the flip side, you could get somebody who just wakes up the next day and is absolutely fine, just cracks on with it. Um, but I think, again, it depends on the individual. Um, you're saying they're going out and enjoying a couple of glasses of wine is you know is probably not going to have that much of an effect, is it really, at the end of the day. But if somebody's going on heavy nights out, that's probably something that you do need to say. And you know, as much as it might curtail their enjoyment of their life slightly, um, you know, altering the drinks that they're having and potentially just saying, listen, you know, which would you prefer? You know, do you want to achieve your your um, competition goals or do you want to go on you know, heavy nights out twice a week? If you want to do the nights out, you probably have to realize that actually you probably don't want these competition goals as much. Um, but if you do, you know, try and find a balance. And I guess, you know, you mentioned the energy density of alcohol. It is quite energy dense and it really doesn't provide our body with any nutritional benefits. So it is one of those things I sort of consider as more of that soul food or in that extra sort of occasional 20%. But probably the other concept we didn't even mention was um, the foods that you tend to eat when you drink alcohol. You know, it's very rare that somebody would drink alcohol and eat their grilled chicken breast and, you know, broccoli. Um, it's, it's much more, I guess, but most people would go for pizza or, you know, chicken parmigiana or something like that. And then not to mention if you've been drinking for a few hours, you might typically have a second dinner, which might be like a late night kebab or pizza sort of stopover as well. So it's not just the, the calories that you're getting from the alcohol. It's typically the foods that you will eat with the alcohol. And the next day, if you're feeling a little bit rough or a little bit worse for wear, you might then potentially choose more of those carbohydrate, more processed types of foods. Your body just tends to crave when you're consuming, um, you know, alcohol, I guess, in, in more than just sort of a drink or two. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when, when we're drinking alcohol out with friends, the last thing that we're normally thinking about is, um, you know, our, our fitness goal or whatever kind of goal that we have, we're just enjoying ourselves. And obviously, our mind becomes a little bit more impaired with the alcohol. So, as you're saying there, um, decisions are different as to when we're, we're sober. So um, if you're out all night and, you know, if it's two in the morning and you have the last time you ate was, uh, you know, six, seven hours ago, you're probably going to be hungry because as you're saying, alcohol is not a, a satiating thing at all. So you're going to be, ha and the only food that's available at that time is things like pizzas, takeaways, and um, yeah, either you go home and starve or you have have that and so you've actually consumed a lot of calories from the alcohol to start with and then you're potentially consuming another calorie dense meal potentially you've consumed a calorie dense meal before the alcohol if you're going out with, with friends as well enjoying yourself so it's the kind of things that that happen that over time you know somebody could from monday to friday eat everything perfectly within their diet but doing that thing once a week could actually just be the thing that inhibits progress or as much progress as somebody is is kind of looking for or hoping for. And I guess it's something that I see a lot of clients even just turn a blind eye to, you know, I'm so perfect with my diet Monday to Friday, I exercise so heavily. And then you go, you know, I go on this weekend bender on Saturday and I'm just going to turn a blind eye and I'm going to start again on Monday. And I get so many people who, who do that sort of thing and come to me for advice. And I'm like, my only advice is to stop doing that. There's no other advice that I can give you. Like you just, you don't really understand how much of an impact that's having on your, your goals long-term. Because when you thought about what you're doing Monday to Friday, yes, it's great, but that's that weekend bender that you're doing is throwing out all of those five days of hard work that you're doing for Monday and Friday and come Monday again, you're back at square one or potentially, depending on how big your weekend bender was, you're even worse off than when you started the week before. So I think for most people, they just don't really appreciate how energy dense alcohol is and how, you know, if you're going to go out and have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 drinks, plus or minus an extra meal or two that you wouldn't normally eat, it can really be the thing that derails quite a lot of people. Um, so I guess, as you mentioned, it's weighing up what are your goals? Are you chasing a body composition goal or are you happy to go out and socialize and, you know, have a sort of a heavy drinking weekend um, quite frequently because it's sort of one or the other. You can't really really achieve you can't really do both can you um i don't think so not optimally uh, you know going out and getting absolutely plastered uh, to the best of your ability you know once or twice a week um and doing all those things you mentioned and you know achieving the perfect or your um perspective of the body that you want is you know it might happen on occasion but for most people it's going to be impossible um to do and uh 
yeah, I, it, it's a difficult one because you, you don't you don't want to. It's it's hard. You know, you you said there, um, it's derailing all the good work that you've done during the week, and people are coming in and saying, "Why am I not progressing?" You know, and and you almost feel bad saying, "Well, just don't do it at the weekend." <laughs> but sometimes you kind of do have to just say that. Um, it's not what people want to hear, but ultimately it's like we're saying their decision, you know, do they want to progress or do they just want to go and have a good time? You know, we can try and have a kind of happy medium, but at the end of the day, it comes down to what you value most. If you value going out and enjoying yourself in that way, absolutely fine, but perhaps don't expect there to be so much progress and don't get disappointed when you don't make the progress is basically what we're, we're both saying. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that was that was amazing. We I think we dispelled so many myths. Things like macros, calories in, calories out, dieting and sugar free products, the cleaning eating versus I guess the balanced eating. We talked about cheat meal, cheat meals, and even the alcohol. So when it comes down to it, I guess if we were to bring it all back to basics, and I sort of said to you, Graham, where do you start with your clients? Like when it comes to fat loss, what are sort of the two to three um, things that you place in the utmost priority for your clients? What are sort of two to three things that you always start with or that you see the majority of people, I guess, going a little bit astray? What sort of areas would they be? Um, so so first up, when, when we're kind of chatting to each other, um, I kind of like to get an idea of their overall lifestyle. Um, so things like hobbies, occupation, things like that, just so that we can kind of identify what kind of lifestyle is led, whether it's kind of activity based or whether it is fairly sedentary um, and just get an idea of who, what they're like as a person, you know, what kind of eating habits they have, their favorite kind of foods, how often they socialize and go out and get hammered and things like that. Um, and that's basically me kind of understanding what's currently going on. But in terms of me giving out information, it's very much a case of you know, going back to the basics of literally, this is the way that fat, despite everything that you've heard in the past, this is the way that fat is lost or gained or maintained. Um, and that's obviously in reference to energy balance, you know, energy deficits or surpluses. Um, and basically making sure that they understand that principle to start with and just getting them comfortable in be, becoming aware of how many calories that they are consuming. Um, because that the main goal at that stage is weight loss in most cases and that's what they have to kind of uh, go for and they'll come back sometimes and say but what about the types of foods that I'm eating the nutrients it's like forget about that this exact moment you know this is how it's going to work um, and hammer that home as much as possible because no matter sometimes what you say to people they sometimes won't even believe you and they'll still kind of have things going through their mind that have gone over their minds for the last 10, 20 years and what they've heard in the diet industry, lots of rhetoric, you know, clean eating, all this kind of stuff. Um, so you kind of make sure that that is definitely just set in stone from there. Um, once the foundation's kind of built, we're kind of, yes, then we're looking at in, you know holistic nutrition type stuff, you know, including as much nutrients as possible. And, and basically it's, it's as simple as that. But I think the biggest problem a lot of people have is again going back to they don't understand that you require a calorie deficit to lose weight which is absurd in 2019 given the amount of information that is, is available that that is still not appreciated by some people and I think that's what it all comes down to at the end of the day and trying to incorporate that with their specific lifestyle as well um, for example if they're sitting at a desk all day you know, we know it's difficult for their, for them to kind of use energy um, at work compared to a manual labourer who is using energy at work quite a lot. Um, so, tr you know, if it's an individual like that, that we're going to have to increase energy expenditure somewhere and trying to figure out the best way to do that. You know, it might necessarily not mean they have to join a gym. It could mean that they uh, go for, for walks and listen to music or podcasts um, and try and combine two things with, with one stone, kill two things with one stone um, and try and just make it as, as easy a transition as possible but it's very difficult sometimes because 
a lot of people have this motivated mindset straight away and they want to dive straight in and they'll go to the supermarket, spend £200 on the best foods that they think they're going to have and they'll meal prep everything and they'll take out a gym membership and very quickly realise after a couple of weeks that a lot of the time these grand things that they kind of planned are just not taking place with the regularity that they, they said they were going to do them just because they're, they're too unsustainable. So they've, they've gone from doing absolutely no exercise to saying they're going to go to a gym five days a week. Um, and they've gone from eating fairly controlled to eating perfectly. I mean, it's very, very difficult um, for most people to do that. So it's kind of trying to find a way and trying to, trying to make them as calm as possible in realizing that yes, this will take time. It's not going to be something that's going to take two weeks as much as you'd like it to be. You're going to have to realize that this is going to take potentially several months and years, but it's going to be a work in progress and you're going to enjoy it. And it means that you're going to adhere to it if we can find a way that, you know, is, is sustainable at the end of the day. That's what we're looking for. And it's different from person to person. Um, but getting back to the basics is basically making sure that they understand the principle behind fat loss, which has just um, got lost over the years. I don't understand how it, how it has. Um, commercial Commercialism and people trying to make money off the back of really poor scientific research um, and just, yeah, totally disregarding the, the, the one way that makes us lose or gain weight and it's, it's energy in versus energy out. So very back to basic principles. I like it. Um, well, Graham, thank you so much for answering all of our questions today and giving our listeners so much value. Um, that's probably all that we have time for today, but I know that I have so many more questions for you and quite a few that our listeners have sent in as well. So I think what we might do is record a second podcast where we can go just dive a little bit deeper into some of these concepts. Um, but just quickly, where can our listeners find you? Can they email you? Let us know what your social media um pages and um do you offer sort of online consults or that sort of thing as well yeah so my my instagram is the fitness chef with an underscore at the end because someone already had that username back in a few years ago uh the website is fitnesschef.uk um yes i do have an online coaching um thing going on there if people are, are kind of interested and on facebook it's just the fitness chef as well there's also a Twitter, but it's uh, basically, I don't have many followers on there, but it's basically I use it as like a self-meditating place to vent my fury at the <laughs> nutrition industry. So, so, so if you find me on there, there's maybe a few rants, but some of them could be quite funny. So <laughs> more for entertainment than uh, information. <laughs> Awesome. All right, guys, well, go and give Graham a follow. If you don't already follow him, you absolutely have to. His posts are amazing in terms of just giving such simple um, nutrition advice in what I like to call just golden nuggets of information. You guys will learn so much um, and he just breaks it down in such, in such a simplistic way. So I really look forward to bringing Graham back on the podcast to answer some of your questions and to dive a little bit deeper into some of these other issues. But that is all we have time for today, guys. I will catch you in the next podcast. And thank you so much, Graham, for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Pleasure.